Welcome to the Tanjo Tech Talk Podcast, where we take 15 minutes each Wednesday to help you upskill on a topic related to machine learning. We'll also sometimes include longer lectures and talks we give on other subjects. I hope you enjoy, and if you have any questions, you can reach out to me, Will Jarvis, at will at tanjo.ai. Thanks. Well, hey, Richard, how are you doing today? I am well. Good to see you, Will. It's good to see you. So I wanted to get started and today talk a little bit about a potential for an ARPA in education. What's an ARPA? Sure. You know, why does education need one? And and what does the future look like there? Sure. Well, ARPA, you know, gosh, you're going to ask me to remember what that acronym stands for. But, uh, you know, it's advanced. It's an advanced research agency for, you know, sponsored by the government. It's how, you know, ARPANET is how we got the Internet originally. Right. So it was this idea of investing in research and development. And when I talk about R&D in this uh, uh, in these terms, I'm talking about capital R, capital D. And I'm not sure how many companies today actually invest in R&D at that level uh, where we are relying more on the government today. And it might that might surprise people. But, uh, you know, a couple of years ago, I was at a conference on uh, gaming up in New York, where Alan Kay was there and Jim Shelton from the Department of Education and people from Sesame Street and and uh, the folks from the Muse School, as, as you may know, I ended up being on the board of a school started by Susie Cameron, uh, the wife of James Cameron, uh, out in Calabasas, California. It's where Kanye West kids go and and uh, Jennifer Lopez's kids and Matthew McConaughey's. But it's interesting in that it's that clean piece of paper, sort of first principles look at education and how do you how do you make 21st century humans? But this ARPA idea is centered around the idea of, you know, when you look at DARPA, for example, the Defense Advanced Research Agency, you see uh, a big uh, amount of the DOD budget, you know, close to 10%, I think, going into R&D, research and development, new ideas, DARPA hard problems. But in education, we do, oh, it's less than 1%. So the idea of ARPA around education, I think, is, is something that started during the Obama administration under Arne Duncan and Jim Shelton, and hopefully will be revived here shortly, because we do need, I believe, and many believe, a new approach to education that that harnesses technology in the right way. That's great. And there seems to be some interesting things about, excuse me, the ARPA model in that you've got a project manager and he's got kind of complete, he or she has complete reign over directing funds and kind of solving this, whatever given problem he's assigned. Um, Do you think this is useful, especially useful for education, where we've kind of got underinvestment in research, especially compared to building missiles or aircraft carriers? Yeah, you know, if again, if you look at the DARPA model, which is similar, you know, is similar, the idea of uh, bringing people in and giving them short sprint sorts of areas of interest or exploration, and with the understanding that they're going to be there three years, let's say, and then they're going to leave. It means that you're not creating a bureaucracy, number one. No one's coming there to create a career, although I keep seeing that happen anyway with DMs, <laughs> pro, uh, program managers. But And and the idea of giving them some autonomy and a, and a permission to fail. Uh, the, the idea of having DARPA hard problems or 
ARPA hard problems means that, you know, we are taking a portion of our money, we're investing in long shot sorts of things uh, that may not have uh, a short-term payoff, but we'll learn from it. Um, you know, a lot of this started after Sputnik and we realized that we were behind in the space race. We were behind the Soviets. So we started investing in education and investing at the, you know, more in research and development on the defense side and space, aerospace, other areas, but even in education. But I think recognizing that we are in an information age of accelerating uh, technology and where, you know, an individual today can be exposed to more information from one week of the New York Times than a 19th century human might encounter in their entire lives. So how do we prepare people for, uh, you know, critical thinking skills to evaluate information, to understand where to spend their attention? As Her Herbert Simon said that uh, human attention is the, is the most valuable currency of this century. Uh, how do we how do we um, in, make investments so that we do create uh, 21st century humans who, you know, think like mathematicians and scientists as well as poets and artists and are the architects of our future? That makes a lot of sense. And you, so, you've been on the board of several schools: Wake Tech, the Muse School you mentioned. Um, North Carolina Virtual Public Schools, you know, you've done a lot of work with the Department of Education. What's kind of the biggest problem? I know you mentioned a couple here, but what's the biggest problem you've seen with educators that they're struggling with that, you know, ARPA research, an approach like that could really help with? Well, uh, you know, there's, you know, this, this idea, I was just talking to Larry Singer, who was, used to be the head of Pearson, the textbook business for Pearson. And we were still talking about, I'm not sure how true this is now, but we were saying that if you took a uh, hundred years ago, if you took a doctor out of a hospital and brought them in and put them into an operating room today, they would be really perplexed by all the technology that was at their service. Uh, and, but, and that's both good and bad. That's a whole separate podcast opportunity there. <laughs> but if you take a teacher out uh, from a, the classroom 100 years ago and drop them into the class, they would function probably fairly well. They might be confused by seeing computers there and other sorts of technology aids, but still the method of instruction would, uh, the pedagogy would be very, very similar. And we're, we're overdue for an upgrade of some kind. And we've been making investments in things like intelligent tutors, the idea of a system that could adapt itself to a human along a personalized learning path and direct their learning style and the pace and rhythm of the content and expertise that they're exposed to, to achieve the shortest path to mastery. We, we've done investments. There's a guy named Dexter Fletcher who did a lot of work for the DOD and at DARPA around, can we actually create an autonomous or, you know, a, a, an intelligent tutor system that has no human involved that can have a two to three sigma improvement over uh, a teacher's instruction. And we proved that you can. It's just really expensive and really specialized. So how do you do that for everything we want to teach? But that requires a big investment and it requires an ARPA level kind of investment. You know, the other idea we talked about for some time with people like Alan Kay, the Xerox Park pioneer who decided or who created the first laptop computer and the mouse and the Windows interface we're still using today and object-oriented programming. 
he's always been interested in education and you know what 21st century humans need to look like uh and and uh and thinking through this idea of you know how do you give a technology enabled you know a technology system to a child such that they can learn to collaborate and think critically and and achieve a shorter path to mastery in every subject the one laptop per child was an attempt to do that but uh not ne didn't necessarily completely succeed because i think there were pieces of the of the full system uh that were missing but what you want is is neil stevenson's uh concept of the young ladies illustrated primer that he had in diamond age his novel and it's this idea of an adaptive system that combines both uh human instruction that's one-to-one -one, which we all know today is still this a, a way to achieve the shortest path to mastery and then some technology uh assisted uh, uh, learning that adapts to the person and, and what senses when they're bored or anxious and augments or, or switches media types up to decide you know i'm going to tell you a story i'm going to sing you a song let's look at a movie let's play a game and then let's get back to more of the instruction that that uh that opportunity still is in front of us and i believe an arpa level investment may actually achieve it and put all the pieces together that's great, that's great. and it seems like you've mentioned this theme a lot of personalization you know how do we get away from this blanket approach where every human's the same to you know the young ladies illustrated primer what is perfect for you where you are in life and it's tuned in completely um i had one last question why do you think you know you mentioned earlier that there's not very much innovation research labs going on in the private sector it's all shifted to government and this is anecdotally true if you think about it you know bell labs xerox park you know they still exist but they don't produce the kind of innovations they used to why do you think that's all shifted to the government focus side well Aaron, i think you can blame wall street for a lot of it as i understand it when i've when i've when we've examined this problem we've seen that you know this slavery to the quarterly results results in no long-term investments and i even when i came to lockheed we had this idea of irad internal research and development funds but i was my first reaction coming from working with apple and intel and microsoft and, and folks on their kinds of r d and they some of them still do in google you know, still do real r d investment but they're they're you know they're in the minority out there um but uh, uh just this idea of you know only making short-term investments how do we make the next quarter and the quarter after that more secure as opposed to looking at you know think about how you make your investments financially for yourself where you might have short-term payoff things but you might have long-term investments or even a cd that's going to pay off five years from now or be redeemed 10 years from now or like a municipal bond uh we don't you know only people with a long view are making those kinds of investments and that typically today has become the government because public companies are looking for quarterly returns and they're just not even the even when ceos come into public companies are usually there for a four to five year stint and, and then they're going to retire and take their winnings with them so that's the that's the window that they're looking at not a 10-year horizon too much short-termism exactly that's that's it's interesting it's interesting how things have shifted well richard do you have any other parting shots on this issue of 
ARPA education. I, I'll include some links to a lot of the things we mentioned in chatting today. Yeah, I mean, I'm tying together a lot of different ideas. You know, I, I was part of a, a DARPA study called, I, uh, it was an ISAT study called Cognitive Coupling, where we were looking at how do you, how do you, again, shorten a path to mastery for a team of special ops folks, for example, and how do you make sure they work together as a team? And I, I think those, the lessons we learned from that really map well to education because a successful 21st century person is going to have to be able to adapt really quickly, learn, unlearn, and relearn as uh, as Alvin Toffler says, not just, you know, do your one vertical uh, um, sort of field of study and that's all you're going to do for your career. You need to be able to adapt really quickly. You also need to work in teams of people and be able to switch roles really quickly. So how do you do that? Well, we figured out that you could actually put transdermal patches on people and have the instructors or the team leads actually sense state and learn to adjust when someone's anxious or bored, like I said, or, or with that earlier example. But we also learned that you can affect state. And I won't go into this too much, but <laughs> because it's classified, I think still, but the idea, if you want to make someone learn a foreign language faster, you dope them with uh, oxytocin and dopamine or whatever, the different hormonal chemicals, you send them into battle. Of course, you give them more testosterone, um, adrenaline. And you know how, why, why is that important for education? Well, we actually had this conversation that, wow, if you really wanted kids to learn faster, you could just dope them with oxytocin <laughs> and serotonin and things like that. But we don't do that. We're not going to be doing that with our kids. But if you take a step back and say, what, what are we comfortable doing? You realize how important nutrition is. So making sure when kids show up at school, they have proper nutrition, they've had a good meal, they've had a good night's sleep, they're not overly stressed. Otherwise, it doesn't matter what kinds of technologies and other things you bring to bear, they're just not going to learn. Um, the other parting shot that I'll have from my experience at Lockheed Martin is, you know, we, we want to really, it's in this book called Getting Smart. I think I actually have, here's a copy of it here. Nice. It'll show up on screen here, but by Tom Vanderark, uh, who was with the Gates Foundation. But there's a, if you turn to, uh, I think it's page four. 58 or nine in the hymnal here, you'll see a story that I told him about how we won a contract at Lockheed Martin for training all of the service members, all of the air crew service members for the UK Ministry of Defense. So we get raw recruits in and we got to figure out uh, what it takes to uh, end up creating a fighter pilot, a helicopter pilot, or someone who's an air crew member manning sonar systems or communication systems or weapon systems on an aircraft. And we didn't get paid until we produced that qualified candidate. So it's amazing how that aligns your mind and that proper incentive alignment means a lot. So we weren't saying how many of my simulators from Lockheed Martin can I sell to the UK? It was like, who has the best simulator for that air aircraft? Is it Boeing? Is it Northrop? Is it someone else? Well, let's buy that because the incentive was really pure. Um, also, we had a lot of interest in time because we had to we had to rent or, or build classroom buildings hire instructors buy aircraft buy simulators buy textbooks all the stuff you'd have to do to achieve that that shortest path to mastery so how much time does it take in the classroom how much time in a simulator how much time in multimedia instruction how much time in a real aircraft yields that shortest path and it's amazing what we ended up accomplishing in some cases and i know this is still classified by Lockheed as well. It's called Military Flying Training Systems, but they ended up getting a medal from the Queen of England for it wow. 
because they were able to, we were able to actually uh, condense most of these by a third or more. So I told this to Nolan Bushnell, the guy founded Atari and Chuck E. Cheese, and he's like, <laughs> "Hey, we can we can now do high school in three years instead of or you know four or two instead of four, and what you know we can graduate kids a lot faster." And I think that's probably missing the point, but it does mean that for a variety of people, you can actually teach them algebra faster, teach them geometry, physics, chemistry, whatever. And what do you do with that extra time? Well, you could do Peace Corps, you can teach them civics, teach them more critical thinking skills that make them better able to operate in an information dense democracy, you know, where they have a vote, right. <laughs> little things like that. So we're just thinking about all these pieces put together. And that's why I like, I'm attracted to people like James Cameron, Elon Musk, and and folks like Arnie Duncan and Jim Shelton and Alan Kay, who really want to take out the clean sheet of paper, take a first principles look and say, okay, how much tech, where do we need to apply technology? Where do we need to change how humans operate on the instructor side? And what does the classroom need to look like? And let's, let's do that. So we address these existential issues. That's excellent. Well, thanks, Richard. A lot of practical advice here and a lot of great content. All right. Thank you. Well, it was fun.